Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, Israel and Hamas agree to extend truce for two days. So Qatar announced on Monday that Israel and Hamas agreed to extend the truce under the hostage deal for another 48 hours. So a spokesman for Qatar's foreign ministry said, quote, the state of Qatar announces as part of the ongoing mediation, an agreement has been reached to extend the humanitarian truce for an additional two days in the Gaza Strip, end quote. And this was later confirmed by both Hamas and Israel. So this four-day truce has held since Friday, and the two sides swapped another group of prisoners on Monday. The exchange on Monday included 11 Israeli hostages and 33 Palestinian prisoners. So this exchange fulfilled Hamas's commitment to hand over 50 Israelis during the initial four-day truce and Israel's commitment to release 150 Palestinians. Hamas has also released 19 other hostages, 17, and that 19 includes 17 Thai hostages, a Filipino, and a Russian dual citizen. And this was part of separate arrangements uh, with these governments. So Qatar did not say what the terms of the two-day extension are, but Israel has said that it would only extend the truce if Hamas releases 10 Israeli hostages each day. Israel is also required to release more Palestinian prisoners. And this, as far as I understand it, was the basic outline of the agreement that was brokered by Qatar in the first place. So they're kind of um, going by that, what they initially agreed to for the extensions. Um, So Israel has made clear that its brutal military campaign in Gaza will continue once the truce is over. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant told a group of soldiers on Monday that after the ceasefire, the fighting will, quote, be bigger and take place throughout the Gaza Strip. You will meet something that is a little more prepared, so they will meet the bombs of our Air Force first, and after that the shells of the tanks and artillery, and the paws of the D-9, and finally the shooting of the infantry fighters, end quote. And the D-9 is Israel's armored bulldozer, so that's what he is uh, talking about there. All right, so the next one here, Qatar's unprecedented action saved a shaky truce in Gaza. So this is an interesting article from AP, and it's about Qatar's role in saving the ceasefire that almost fell apart on Saturday, and also kind of just their general mediation and how they ended up in that position. Some interesting nuggets in here that I was not aware of. Uh, So this article says the deal seemed on the verge of unraveling. Hamas had accused Israel of failing to keep its side of the bargain, and Israel was threatening to resume its lethal onslaught on the Gaza Strip. That was the point at which a Qatari jet landed at Israel's Ben-Gurion International Airport on Saturday. Negotiators aboard set to work seeking to save the ceasefire deal between Israel and Gaza's Hamas before it fell apart and scuttled weeks of high-stake diplomatic wrangling. So this was the first public visit by Qatari officials to Israel, and the two countries have no diplomatic relations. So um, it is unprecedented, this trip. 
And it also underscored the major role of Qatar in mediating during this conflict. And this article, you know, I knew Qatar was a small country, but this article says its native population is only 300,000, which I didn't realize it was that small. But of course, they sit on a lot of oil and gas reserves, so it's a very wealthy country. Um, so the weekend mission was successful, and it says most of the team jetted home, but several Qatari mediators stayed behind to work with Israeli intelligence officials on extending the four-day truce, which was set to end Tuesday morning. Um, and this is according to a diplomat briefed on the visit who spoke to AP. That's their source. Uh, they have cite several sources in this report. Um, and those efforts have paid off. As we've seen, Israel and Hamas agreed to extend the truce for two days. Um, and Qatar's close ties to the U.S., it hosts the largest American military base between Europe and Japan. Its communication with Israel since 1995 and its support of blockaded Gaza to the tune of what estimates what estimates suggest is more than $1 billion since 2014 puts Qatar in a unique position to break deadlocks in the ceasefire talks, which also involve the U.S. and Egypt. Um, so now this is interesting. It says Qatar has hosted an overseas Hamas political office since 2012, allowing Qatar to wield some influence over Hamas. Top Hamas officials, including Hamas political bureau head Khaled Mashal, live in Qatar. And Qatar says that Hamas's political office in Doha came about at the request of U.S. officials who wanted to establish a communication channel just as Doha had hosted Taliban officials during America's 20-year war in Afghanistan. So that's something I didn't know, that Hamas has a political office in Doha because the U.S. requested it. And Qatar played a very key role in the U.S. Taliban negotiations that led to the U.S. withdrawal. Biden violated the deal by uh, extending the withdrawal date, pushing back the withdrawal date. But, you know, that is the deal that ended the U.S. war in Afghanistan. Um, and Qatari officials say that they're guided by a desire to reduce conflict, though their ties with a range of Islamist groups, including Hamas, the Muslim Brotherhood and the Taliban have drawn criticism from Israel and some U.S. lawmakers. Um, uh, but again, just interesting, and we don't know exactly what uh, they did on Saturday to get this truce, stop the truce from falling apart. But it was as I uh, covered last week, the U.S. was saying, U.S. officials were saying they didn't think Israel could live up to its commitment to allow 200 aid trucks into Gaza per day because they weren't opening their border crossing with Gaza. That means all the trucks have to go in through Egypt. And this says that only 137 trucks made it in on Friday and 187 on the second day, according to the U.N., so not the 200. And that was what Hamas was threatening to scrap the deal over, and Qatar did something to uh, save that. So it's an interesting position Qatar is in, and Qatar has funded, uh, you know, transferred a lot of funds to Hamas, and that's something that Netanyahu f facilitated. There's that infamous quote, now infamous, you know, in the wake of what's happened, quote from Netanyahu in 2019 that basically says, if you oppose a Palestinian state, you have to support funding Hamas, and that's what we're doing by letting Qatar, you know, send this money there. 
All right, so the next one here, Palestinian cancer patients suffer under Israeli occupation. This article is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute, and it says, Since October 7th, Israeli security forces have taken a number of steps that condemned sick Palestinians to a slow death. In Gaza, the lone cancer treatment center has been made inoperable by Israeli military operations. In East Jerusalem, Gazan hospital patients were rounded up and deported to the West Bank. So according to El Paez, the Spanish newspaper, chronically ill Gazans have nowhere to seek treatment. In Gaza, before the war, there was only the Turkish-Palestinian Friendship Hospital that treated cancer patients. And I remember covering when that closed. I forget exactly when that was, but it is one of at least 25 out of 35 medical facilities rendered inoperable by the bombardment in Israel. Uh, Prior to the recent escalation of violence, the situation for Palestinian cancer patients in Gaza was bleak as it was. Um, So this has led to Palestinians seeking medical treatment outside of Gaza. And there were some Gazans, Palestinians from Gaza, who were in East Jerusalem for cancer treatment before the Hamas attack on October 7th, but they've been arrested. So this report says, according to testimonies gathered by the newspaper in Ramallah, The Israeli police arrested other patients or their companions in a hotel and even inside the hospital itself. After being questioned, the Israeli police took them to a checkpoint and expelled them into the West Bank. So rounded up these Palestinian cancer patients and just pushed them into the West Bank. All right, so the next one here, Israeli tank gunner got orders to fire indiscriminately into kibbutz. This is another one from Max Blumenthal, the gray zone, about the evidence of uh, the Israeli military uh, being responsible for some civilian casualties. And uh, Wyatt Reed uh, co-authored this piece with him. And it says, firsthand testimony by admittedly inexperienced Israeli tank operators reveals orders to open fire upon Israeli communities when Palestinian militants breached the fences encircling Gaza on October 7th. So a glowing profile of an all-female tank company by Israel's N12 News Network contains admissions by the 20-year-old captain, identified only as Carney, that she was ordered by a panicked soldier to open fire on homes in the Holit kibbutz where they contain civilians, whether they contain civilians or not. Um, she said, quote, The soldier points and tells me, shoot there, the terrorists are there. Uh, She asked, are there civilians there? And her compatriot replied, I don't know, and ordered her to just shoot a tank round into the building anyway. And ultimately, she decided not to fire the tank round, um, but did say that she fired with her machine gun at the house. So she ultimately did not go ahead with firing the the tank, but it kind of you know, it is more evidence that that the Israelis could have been firing indiscriminately at these houses where there were Hamas fighters holed up with Israeli uh, captives. All right, so the next one here, Gaza truce brings a lull in attacks on U.S. troops. So since the Gaza truce came into effect on Friday, there's been no reports of attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq or Syria. And since October 17th until the last Thursday, at least 73 attacks have been recorded against these U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. Uh, But now they have stopped, 
and some of Iraq's leading Shia militias behind some of these attacks on U.S. forces, including Kitab Hezbollah, which is a, a big one, they've said, according to Reuters, that they would abide by the ceasefire. So this shows how these attacks are over U.S. support for Israel's war in Gaza, which many Arabs view as a U.S.-Israeli war. Um, so they say that they'll abide by the ceasefire, but they've also signaled that the attacks will continue once Israel restarts its operations in Gaza, which if they do another 48 hours, will probably start early Thursday. And they're threatening, again, to make this bigger a bigger military operation than before, and they're going to focus on the south where there's just so many uh, displaced Palestinians sleeping in streets, sleeping in UN shelters, in tents. So the the risk of civilian casualties is is even higher than before. Um, so the Iraqi government, which has condemned both the attacks on U.S. troops and recent U.S. airstrikes in Iraq, that Kateb Hezbollah said killed 10 of its fighters. Um, so that's what they're saying, and again, Kitab Hezbollah is one of the bigger militias there, aligned with Iran, and the U.S. has, you know, they they have these uh, flare-ups with them uh, once in a while, and the Iraqi government is warning that without a durable ceasefire in Gaza, the war will likely expand into a regional conflict, so they're basically saying they expect the attacks on U.S. troops to continue again. Um a foreign affairs advisor to Iraq's prime minister, Mohammed Shia al-Sudani, said, quote, The entire region is on the verge of a devastating conflict that may include everyone, and the extent of its expansion or how to control it and stop it is not known. For this reason, we see any ceasefire in the conflict as beneficial and important at this stage for the people of Palestine and Gaza, First, and for all countries in the region, including Iraq, end quote. Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend the truce for another two days, as you guys uh, already know. Um, I was just reading the last paragraph there. but So, again, this goes to show why a ceasefire is a good idea, because it reduces the risk of a regional, major regional conflict. There's also been the calm at the Israel-Lebanon border, you know, who knows what's going to happen there after Israel resumes everything in Gaza. All right, so the next one here. The U.S. military says that it thwarted a ship hijacking in the Gulf of Aden. So this is kind of an odd story. The U.S. military said that it stopped a ship hijacking in the Gulf of Aden near Somalia on Monday as tensions continue to rise in the region due to Israel's campaign in Gaza. U.S. Central Command said in a press release that the destroyer USS Mason and allied ships responded to a distress call from the Central Park, which is a chemical tanker that's owned by Zodiac Marine. And Zodiac Marine is chaired by Israeli billionaire Ayel Offer. So it's another Israeli-linked tanker. Uh, but this isn't the Houthis, according to the U.S. They say it is most likely the people that tried to hijacked this ship were actually Somali. They came from Somalia. This was on the Somali side of the Gulf of Aden. So CENTCOM said that five armed individuals attempted to flee the scene on a small boat, but were detained by the U.S. military. So they have them under arrest. 
And hours after the incident, CENTCOM said two ballistic missiles were fired at the USS Mason from Houthi-controlled territory in Yemen, but landed in the Gulf of Aden 10 nautical miles away from the U.S. warship. So the Houthis, formerly known as Ansar Allah, seized an Israeli-linked tanker last week. But the Pentagon said on Monday that the attackers of the Central Park were likely Somali and not Houthi. Um, so while not responsible for this Central Park attack, the, the Houthis have vowed to target Israeli ships in the region, and they fired missiles and drones at Israeli territory in response to the Israeli onslaught in Gaza. They've also shot down a U.S. MQ-9 Reaper drone that was flying near Yemen, and the important context to know is that the, the U.S. has been at war with the Houthis since 2015 by backing the Saudi-led coalition against them, uh, maintaining their air force, giving them intelligence support, all sorts of things. There's been the ceasefire between the Saudis and the Houthis. That, you know, there's been fighting across the border and on the ground, but no no Saudi airstrikes in Yemen and no Houthi attacks in Saudi Arabia. Um so it's held relatively well, but I think everything that's going on is kind of risks uh, things flaring up in Yemen again. What if at some point the U.S. responds to what the Houthis have been doing by bombing them? You never you never know. It seems like that's definitely a possibility. Um, so definitely an area to keep an eye on. And, you know, this is the first, you know, Somali pirates used to hear about that a lot and kind of... Um, I remember it was when I was in college, so I went to Maritime College, and it was a big deal when they... Uh, seized hijacked that ship the Maersk Alabama that they made that Captain Phillips movie about that uh you know it was something we heard about quite a bit then but it's been years since you know there were Somali pirates uh hijacked or attempted to take a ship and it's said that these five individuals tried to flee on a boat which was how the Somali pirates did it when the Houthis seized the tanker last week they uh came down on helicopter uh, all right, so the next one here, Schumer, Chuck Schumer vows to bring Biden's $105 billion request to the floor of the Senate. So Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer vowed in a letter to his colleagues to bring a bill to the Senate floor as soon as December 4th to fund military aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. President Biden has requested the funding as part of a massive $105 billion spending package. Schumer said, quote, one of the most important tasks we must finish is taking up and passing a funding bill to ensure we, as well as our friends and partners in Ukraine, Israel, and the Indo-Pacific region have the necessary military capabilities to confront and deter our adversaries and competitors. That's why I intend to bring the president's national security supplemental package to the floor as soon as the week of December 4th, end quote. Schumer blamed Republicans for the delay in the passage of the $105 billion behemoth, which was formally requested on October 20th. He said the biggest holdup is, quote, the insistence by our Republican colleagues on partisan border policy as a condition for vital Ukraine aid, end quote. But Biden's request includes a lot of money for the border. It actually includes $13.6 billion for the border. So I'm not sure exactly what the Republicans want. And House Republicans have passed a bill that stripped the over $14 billion allocated to fund Israel's war in Gaza from Biden's $105 billion request. So they took it out. 
Uh, but this bill has been rejected by Democrats because it includes cuts to the IRS, and Schumer has refused to bring it to the floor for a vote in the Senate. Despite this impasse, House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, the new speaker, he said on Monday that he is confident and optimistic that Congress will be able to pass funding for both Israel and Ukraine. President Biden has requested $61 billion to fund the proxy war in Ukraine for another entire year despite Kiev's failed counteroffensive. Johnson said that Israel is a top priority for the U.S. and said Ukraine is also important but must be tied to border funding. Uh, but he's saying we got to keep funding this proxy war in Ukraine. Let's go. We're going to pass it. It's just a matter of he's basically saying it's just a matter of negotiations with the Democrats. And Johnson said that the negotiations were ongoing. And he also said the other items included in Biden's one hundred and five billion dollar request will be worked out. And that includes the $7.4 billion for the Indo-Pacific region, which is money to prepare this military buildup against China in the region. And that includes the $2 billion in military aid that's most likely, uh, that's mostly going to go to Taiwan, but it could also go to the Philippines or some other U.S. allies in the region. Um, So some form of this $105 billion bill is probably going to be passed. There's also the China Hawks asking to add another $12 billion. I mean, they're all China Hawks, but the really, you know, crazy ones. I want to add another $12 billion to spend on building up around China. So who knows what the final number is going to be and, and what exactly, you know, things could be different when it comes to exactly what Biden requested. But I think some form of this monstrous bill will probably be passed. All right, so the next one here, the U.S. denies that it's pressuring Ukraine to negotiate. So the U.S. on Monday denied that the Biden administration is nudging Ukraine toward negotiations with Russia, saying that it's up to Kiev when to seek peace talks. So these comments came from James O'Brien. He's an assistant secretary of state for Europe and Eurasian Affairs. And this came after a report from the German tabloid Bild said that the U.S. and Germany were trying to nudge Ukraine toward negotiating toward negotiating with Russia by, by providing just enough weapons to maintain the current battle lines, saying that they're not going to give them enough to break through, even though, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Ukraine can't break through. Um, but anyway, O'Brien denied this report. He said, quote, the build story I thought was intriguing, but no, there's no U.S. policy. We've always said that this is a matter for Ukraine to decide. We decide nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. And I think the other reality here is we see no indication that Russia is willing to entertain substantive and real peace negotiations, end quote. So according to Ukrainska Pravda, Germany also denied the build report. The German government said, quote, Ukraine has to define military and political goals in its defensive fight against the Russian aggression. Only Ukraine can set a date for the start of peace talks, end quote. So there have been other signs that the U.S. is is talking, at least broached the idea of peace talks with with Russia in their conversations with Ukraine. But then on the other hand, you have they're trying to pass $61 billion to fund this war for another year. So... You know, it's hard to believe that they're actually pushing toward negotiations while looking to pass that. 
Uh, So the U.S. and most of its NATO allies have discouraged peace talks throughout the war and actively worked against the short-lived negotiations in the early days of the conflict. Just rehashing the story I covered yesterday because it's a huge story, David Arachamia, who's a member of Ukraine's parliament, who led the Ukrainian delegation to Istanbul during peace talks with Russia in March 2022. He's the leader of Zelensky's Servant of the People's Party. He confirmed last week that Russia only wanted a commitment of Ukrainian neutrality to end the war at the time. And he also confirmed earlier reporting from Ukrainska Pravda that then-British Prime Minister Boris Johnson told Zelensky that even if Kiev was ready to sign a deal with Moscow, Ukraine's Western backers were not. And there are other sources, all sorts of sources now and reports that say similar things. Naftali Bennett, who was the Prime Minister of Israel at the time, He tried to mediate between Zelensky and Putin, said that the U.S. and its allies blocked those negotiations because they wanted to keep the war going. Uh, So, you know, it's just this should be a huge story that it's very clear now that the U.S. and NATO didn't want peace and wanted the war to continue. And now nearly two years later, look where we are. All right. So the last one here, North Korea begins remilitarizing its border with the South. This is another one from Kyle at the Libertarian Institute. And it's about North Korea's reaction to South Korea scrapping this surveillance, this deal that they had on the border that that was signed in 2018. So according to the South Korean Defense Ministry, North Korean soldiers have begun rebuilding military posts along the border. In recent weeks, the relationship between North and South Korea took a further nosedive. Seoul announced that it would partly suspend its participation in a 2018 agreement that demilitarized the border, splitting Korea. Pyongyang then announced its full withdrawal from the deal in response. Um, So South Korea, they released photos that they say is showing North Korean soldiers with arms and others building outposts along the demilitarized zone. Pyongyang destroyed the outpost previously during a period of warming relations between South Korea and North Korea and the U.S. under the Donald Trump administration. And that was also under President Moon Jae-in in South Korea, who wanted, who favored Korean unification. Now, uh, President Yoon, who came in last year, vowed to take a very hard line with the North. And Biden is just giving him whatever he wants. Biden even sent a nuke, nuclear-armed submarine to South Korea uh, just to wave it in North Korea's face and obviously China's face as well. Um, Just completely reckless. um, And tensions continue to rise on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, That's it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Ramsey Baroud. The old and new Nakba forced expulsion of Palestinians must be rejected. One from William J. Astore. Liberty at the point of a sword. One from Alex Lowe, Taiwan opposition has shot itself and the island in the foot. That's talking about the opposition parties failing to uh, file a joint presidential ticket. One from Muhammad Sahimi, Iran's political factions are not united on Hamas or the Middle East. One from Aramate, Biden endorses Israel's war to eliminate Gaza. Um, That is everything. You can always support this show by telling your friends about it, liking, commenting, subscribing on YouTube. If you watch the video or if you listen to the audio version, you could always leave a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Um, But that's it for me for today. I will be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.